Hi, I'm Carla. And I'm Kristen. We are the co-hosts of Perimenopause OMG. We're friends, moms, wives, and athletes. And we're going through some stuff. That stuff is called perimenopause. OMG, you guys, no one talks about it. Till now. We're here to talk about all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the funny. So sit back and relax. Hold on to your butts. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Carla. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for today's episode. Who are we talking to today? Well, we are talking to Dr. Jewel Kling, who is an associate professor of medicine, chair of the Division of Women's Health Internal Medicine, assistant director of the Women's Health Center, and associate chair of equity, inclusion, and diversity for the Department of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. Whew. Wow. That was so so much. She's so accomplished. So amazing. She completed medical school and a master's in public health at the University of Arizona in Tucson and internal medicine residency at Mayo Clinic, Arizona, followed by a chief internal medicine fellowship year. Whew. She is an amazing woman. She's smart. Wicked, wicked smart. Her clinical and research interests are in menopause, sexual health, and LGBT care. She's a North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner and serves on the board of International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health and the American Medical Women's Association Sex and Gender Health Collaborative. She's part of the Transgender Steering Committee at MCA and has been a past co-chair of the LGBTI Mayo Employee Resource Group. She's also involved in education and is active with the Internal Medicine Residency and Mayo Clinic ALIC School of Medicine, as well as her efforts to expand the discipline of sex and gender-specific medicine. She's a rock star. She has a lot of knowledge, and I'm so excited to talk to her. So excited. Okay, well, without further ado, we'd like to welcome Dr. Jewel Kling to the podcast. Hi, Jewel. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for having this podcast. It's incredible. Absolutely. Um, Jewel, do you mind if we tell our listeners a little bit about how we know each other? Absolutely. Okay, so um, Jewel and I go way back. Uh, We met, we have a mutual friend, right? Our mutual Mm -hmm. friend is Joy, Dr. Joy Bolgerbeck. Bolgerbeck, okay. Yep, yep, yep. So Joy and I went to graduate school together at the University of Arizona, and that's how we met Jewel. Jewel was your first year medical student with Joy? Yep. Yeah. We started medical school together. I just took the long, long track and did a master's in public health. So it was a little bit, it was there a little bit later than her. Um, yeah, but I can remember meeting you and hanging out in the cafeteria in between, I don't know if it was anatomy lab or whatnot. Yes. Yes. And uh, do you, 
where where are you practicing now? You're in Scottsdale, Arizona? Yep, yep, in Scottsdale at, at Mayo Clinic, Arizona, where I did my residency and my fellowship, and I've been here since. Great, it's such a great town. I Do you miss Tucson? I do miss Tucson. Oh we God. adored Tucson, me and my husband did. Um, it was just, I had my first kiddo right before residency. He was six weeks old when I started my intern year. So it was handy to have my mom and dad close by. Um, so my hubby didn't have to carry all the weight of, you know, the 2am feedings when I was on 30 hour calls, but that's perfect. That's so nice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to have the family close by, but we try and get to down to Tucson as much as we can. I'm sure you miss Tucson. Do you miss Tucson, Carla? Oh my goodness, so much. My husband and I are planning, I mean, we were planning a trip with the kids because I think the kids would just get a kick out of it, right? Your, mm -hmm. I mean, your children were born yeah. in that desert area, but yeah. our kids have like no idea. It was just like how we reacted, right? Because right. we're from the, the Northeast. Um, so I just think the kids would get a kick out of it. So eventually we're going to go down and, and um, visit and ugh, eat the delicious food. I miss the food oh, so, so much. Good. So good. Have, have you been there, Kristen? Have you been to Tucson or Arizona? I have, not, I have not, but you know that Carla and I are running, you know, races in all 50 states. So, you know, maybe Tucson has to be at that, that race. <laughs> There's a Bisbee race. I don't know if you remember that Ooh. race. Bisbee Stair Climb, I think it was called. Bisbee's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's it a good place to check out. Both yeah. um, like architecturally and historically but also I think it's a little cooler than Phoenix or or Tucson so yeah better to do exercise all year <laughs> round there so yeah absolutely <laughs> okay well um Joel let's start this um interview with maybe you just uh telling us the difference between perimenopause and menopause. Like if you were to just talk to us, like, like we were your patients, what, how would you describe those two terms? Yeah, absolutely. And I do spend a good amount of time talking to that with patients, but also with, um, you know, physicians or advanced practitioners when we're doing education, like continuing medical education, because there's not a lot that's taught about menopause and perimenopause, and it's super confusing. So um, menopause is defined clinically as 12 months past the last menstrual cycle. It's like your birthday, right? <laughs> it's like your birthday. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I, I focus on that, the menstrual cycle, um, because a lot of women come in and they're like, Dr. Kling, I need my hormones checked. I need to know if I'm in menopause. And while the hormones can be suggestive, if, if you're like estrogens, a certain level and your FSH is a certain level can be suggestive of menopause. It's really that, yeah, that 12 month birthday after your last menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and then perimenopause is any time up until or before that time, which can be years before then. And most women start experiencing perimenopausal symptoms um, in their mid forties. Um, we had initially thought perimenopausal symptoms typically started with menstrual cycle changes, like bleeding more, bleeding less, um, heavier periods, lighter periods. But there was a recent study that came out that showed that there's a lot of symptoms that probably are, are caused by perimenopause, including 
kind of mood changes, irritability and things mm -hmm. like that. So um, I don't know, I think we round the corner into our 40s as women after doing all their childbearing, not anticipating that there's going to be this change. And really early on in the 40s, you can start experiencing a lot of those symptoms that may actually be related to perimenopause. Yeah. And I think that's what caught both Carla and I off guard is like, we're just, we just turned 40. Like we're just, we're not 50. Like yeah. why are these things happening to us? It's not supposed yeah. to happen yet. Right. Like yeah. we're, we're out of diapers with our kids. <laughs> we're like, all right, we're ready now. We're ready in 40. Now we're doing this change. <laughs> so a woman, how would you know if a woman is in perimenopause? So menopause, that's pretty cut and dry, right? Like that's, 12 months yeah. after, but perimenopause, like I, I, I think I'm in perimenopause because of certain symptoms that I'm having, mm -hmm. but is, is there like blood tests that you can do on patients or is it just mainly patient reporting or what, mm -hmm. what is it? What's going on there? Yeah, no, that's an, an excellent question. And it is mostly a clinical diagnosis. Um, cause what happens, you know, when we're premenopausal, the hormones, the pituitary hormones released from your brain do this beautiful dance with the hormones, with your ovaries to create hormones every month. It goes up and down really lovely. Once you get through menopause, all the hormones are flat, but in between that time during perimenopause, it's like a roller coaster. One day the estrogen can be really high. The other day it could be really low. And that's probably why it can feel kind of crazy sometimes going through perimenopause, just the symptoms that are associated, but also why checking hormones can be really unreliable because I could check it one day and those hormones could be suggestive of you being premenopausal. And then I could check it the next day and it could be postmenopausal. So really it boils sure. down to what symptoms you're having. And if they're suggestive of perimenopause and you're in that kind of age group, then yet you're likely perimenopausal. So then what, what are those symptoms, you know, just for our listeners who, you know, are just going into it or might not be sure, you know, what are those symptoms that we should just keep an eye out or maybe keep a journal or, you know, just be trying to notice with ourselves that we might think, okay, we're, we're starting to go into Mary perimenopause or we are in perimenopause. Yeah. Um, I, and I think you both have shared some of your potentially perimenopausal symptoms and your OMG moments or, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. other avenues, but yes. Yeah, so hot sweats or hot flashes and night sweats are kind of common menopausal symptoms, but women can experience those during perimenopause. Um, because again, of those fluctuations with the hormones, um, you know, traditionally I used to say that the menstrual cycle changes were the first sign, but I think as we get more data, we may realize that there's kind of uh, all of the symptoms could occur first. Um, so in addition to the menstrual cycle changes, the hot flashes and night sweats, sometimes vaginal dryness, sleep issues tend to be a big, um, issue. Um, and then, uh, joint pain symptoms. That's a really common symptom of menopause as well. Um, likely also related to the fluctuations in hormones and then mood irritability. You know, a lot of times my patients will tell me, um, Dr. Kling, like I'm just watching a commercial and I start bawling. I'm, I'm crying. Like this isn't normal for me. Um, and that, that could be a reflection of perimenopause. Yeah. <laughs> the Super Bowl ads were really the Super Bowl over, yeah. over the edge. This or, year. or is this why women of our age like Hallmark movies? Is that, is yeah. that why? <laughs> 
maybe <laughs> they're specifically designed yes yes absolutely. they are yes they are um is is there a reason i mean the the night sweat you know that that was my omg mo moment um is there a reason that it happens more at night or is that you know I, it, does, is there a difference in our hormones at night not, not necessarily. I think every woman's just a little bit different how she manifests those symptoms. Um, and it may be during the day, you're just busy with life and you're not noticing things as much. And then you get into a warm bed with a, if you have a, you know, partner that you're sleeping with, that's warm bodied and they may like the room a little bit warmer than you. And that may be what kind of triggers things. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, I think the other interesting thing about the nighttime symptoms is it's not entirely clear if it's the night sweats that are contributing to the sleep issues or vice versa. So it may be that oh, it's yeah. sleep issues and then you're getting up and you're feeling, and that kind of triggers a night sweat. So it may be more kind of disruptive at night than during the day when you can just like blow it off and I don't know, fan yourself down or get, grab a cool drink or something. Right. So it's also like the chicken and the egg, like which one, mm -hmm. you know, contributes to which. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of our friends would like to know um, when they start perimenopause, can they go off birth control? Like, are they, is there like um, a chance that they can get pregnant or, or no, what, what, What's that? Carla, it's like you were reading my mind because I was almost going to interrupt and say, hey, can I just like insert a little PSA here? Um, that case on uh, by. Yeah, <laughs> that must be it. And, and PSA being public service announcement, not um, prostate specific <laughs> antigen. Um, anywho, I know you studied male, but it was like erectile dysfunction, wasn't so? Anywho. Um, uh, and no, you can't go off of your form of contraception. And I mean, unless you want to get pregnant. Um, and that's the yeah. important thing to know is that women can technically get pregnant up until 12 months after their last menstrual cycle. So if you're at like oh, month wow. six and you're like, oh, I'm good, I'm probably not going to get pregnant. Well, I mean, probably the chances are low, but it's not zero. No, 11 um, months is not 12 months. <laughs> it is not 12 months. And um, I don't know, I even just my second pregnancy compared to my first pregnancy was so much harder. Like as you get older, just what it does to your body physiologically, um, that it's typically not the best idea to wait till your late forties to early fifties to, to have a baby. So I, I don't want to like discourage women if that's what they want, but I think most of us don't. And so having a reliable form of contraception is important. Thankfully, most of the contraceptive options also treat perimenopausal symptoms. Um, in fact, oftentimes we'll use uh, continuous monophasic low-dose birth control. So meaning that it's the same dose of estrogen and progestin that you, you take in a pill or in like a vaginal ring um, every day. And you just take it continuously so you don't have a period. And those hormones will treat the hot flashes and night sweats, some of the mood symptoms, any of the kind of cyclic symptoms and provide contraception. Oh, wow. Wow. I didn't even know that existed. That's a great option. Does yeah. that also help with the changes in um, like the heaviness of periods? Yep. 
Absolutely. And that's where it would be more beneficial than say just a menopausal hormone therapy formulation, which is a much lower dose. So you wouldn't get that cycle control, but with a birth control, you could. Um, and for women that are kind of average risk, meaning they haven't, they don't smoke, they're not like massively obese, don't have a family history of blood clot, you know, those women can continue a lower dose continuous birth control up until age 55 when most women will have gone through menopause. Mm. So, so, so taking that birth control, you know, that's when you would typically stop it about 55 because you assume that you've already been through menopause at that point. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, when I went to medical school, I can vaguely remember being taught you have to prove menopause. Like when you hit 50, stop the birth control and see what happens. But we realize that there's no reason to do that. So just continuing on it, you know, will give you that contraceptive, treat the symptoms um, mm -hmm. and should be safe enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. Are there any other treatment options, you know, for, for women that, you know, maybe they are just looking for a variety of options to choose what's best for them? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question as well. Um, and I think you're referring to contraceptives, but I can also talk about other menopausal hormone therapy formulations. But one mm -hmm. of the things I was thinking is the um, long acting reversible contraceptives, specifically the intrauterine devices, also known as IUDs. Mm -hmm. Um, the IUDs that contain a progestin, like levonorgestrel, such as in the Mirena IUD, um, can be beneficial to treat uh, kind, of, kind of the cycle issues related to perimenopause. So if you're having heavy abnormal bleeding, um, most women that have a Mirena IUD will stop menstruating, or if they do, it's just very, very light. Um, and that provides five to seven years of contraception. So if you get it in your mid to late 40s, that can kind of bridge you through menopause. And then although it's off-label, um, many of us do use the progestin IUD as the, the endometrial protection. You know, anytime you give a woman an estrogen, you need to balance it out if she has her uterus to prevent endometrial cancer. And so the IUD can be that endometrial protection. Um, what about any other, you know, treatments like testosterone or pellets or, you know, those things that some people may or may not have heard of? <laughs> oh my gosh. I looked up pellets. You have to talk about pellets because I don't, I mean, I don't think I even understand them. <laughs> what did you learn about pellets when you looked it up? Um, so they are, are we both looked it up and our faces just dropped. So inserted somewhere, we're not really sure. <laughs> Typically the buttocks. Yeah. 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 And the butt, the buttocks. I, I've actually been looking and the more and more I look, the more it seems like maybe, I don't know. I, I it feels like there's two different, um, schools of thought with that. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe in your community, you don't have the same kind of access or um, uh, Scottsdale has a lot of custom compounding bioidentical hormone offices available. Um, some of it's linked to this like stay young forever idea. Um, but oftentimes we'll do the custom compounded bioidentical hormones. Um, and explain, sorry, I don't mean yeah. to I just don't know what that means. Can you explain yeah, I would, to, to myself and our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. That that's, that's where I'll start right here with mm -hmm. this um, dialogue now about custom compounded bioidentical hormones. So 
Um, bioidentical hormones just means that the hormone looks like the same hormone your body makes. So our ovaries make estradiol, also known as 17-beta-estradiol, and you can get a bioidentical hormone that you can take either in a pill, a patch, um, a, a ring, or a gel that's FDA approved, or you can custom compound bioidentical hormones. And that's where that would be like a cream, a troche, or a pellet. Yeah. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so what's the difference? Should I do an FDA approved one or a custom compounded? Well, I think this is what you were talking about, Carla, like there's two kind of camps or kind of groups of people. Right, yeah. And some would say that the custom compounding is more individualized. But that's not necessarily the case. In fact, a lot of the, the ways that custom compounding practice is not evidence-based, not part of our North American Menopause Society or Endocrine Society guidelines. For example, oftentimes they'll check hormone levels and then titrate treatment to those hormone levels when we know that um, the hormone levels don't always associate with symptoms and it's much more precise to individualize to symptoms as opposed to hormone levels. Okay. Um, but kind of there's some historical um, information that helps inform why we have these two camps, the custom compounded versus the FDA approved. Um, and it was the late 1990s, the Women's Health Initiative was a big study that was put together to look at the safety of menopausal hormone therapy. Um, and what they found is that there was an increased risk of heart attack, stroke, blood clot, and breast cancer in women that were on both the estrogen and progestin, which was not anticipated. The study was put together to prove that hormone therapy was beneficial at preventing heart disease in women. So it, you can imagine if we thought it was going to prevent and then it didn't. So it created a huge start. I mean, if you guys go back, I think it's July 9, 2002 and just search like the tabloids and stuff. It was just all over the place. Like your doctor's trying to kill you. Hormones are going to, you know, all this stuff, right? It's still referenced in. Yes. Oh, that's what you said. Yes. No yeah. reference in current so, textbooks. So you're so teaching. Get, <laughs> this is what you're teaching. <laughs> so get get this. Okay. If I get to it. <laughs> the, the average age of menopause in the U.S. is 51 years of age. Mm -hmm. The average age of women enrolled in the Women's Health Initiative that were starting hormones was 63 years of age. Oh wow. That's incredible. Right. So these women were more than 10 years past menopause and right. a lot of them weren't having symptoms of menopause. And they, I think they intentionally did that because they didn't want to randomize them to placebo and everybody fall out of the study. Right. But what it means is that the women that were being studied weren't the women that were in clinical practice. Right. Um, and then when they went back and looked at it, realized that probably this timing hypothesis explains why we saw those outcomes, mm -hmm. meaning that the timing of initiation of hormone therapy relates to the outcomes associated with it. So that was a very like scientific way to say, it. meaning if you start hormones early menopause, it probably doesn't cause bad outcomes right. and it may even prevent things. And in fact, we've seen that when they sub analyzed the women that were 50 to 59 in that study, and they found that they didn't have those same increased risks. Mm -hmm. um, um, but uh, long story longer, maybe the findings from the Women's Health Initiative um, meant a lot of doctors just kind of turned their backs to women prescribing hormone therapy and women were still suffering. They were having miserable symptoms. And so it created this opportunity for this custom compounded bioidentical market to grow. And bioidentical is just a marketing term 
but doesn't it yeah. sound safe and wonderful? Yes, give me the bioidentical hormone. And custom. Um, like it's yes, customized. Custom it's me. It's me. It's me for me. People are making so much money on, on these treatments. I mean, the pellets aren't, they're not FDA approved, so they're not covered by insurance. The pellets are like anywhere from four to $500 every couple of months. Wow. 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 So uh, the good news is, is now we have loads of FDA approved bioidentical hormones that are safe. They've got the reassurance of, uh, you know, oversight from the FDA and the benefit of the consistency in dosing. Um, there have been people that have looked at the custom compounding and taken the same script, like a doctor's written the same script and they've filled it at the pharmacies and then they run it in a lab and realize that even if the dose is the same, that because of the custom component that the doses are all over the place, wow. which most, most of the time isn't a big deal, but when it becomes a safety issue, like you need a certain amount of progesterone to protect against endometrial cancer, then that's just not acceptable. And so an FDA approved bioidentical hormone is better. Right. That was said, a long answer to your question, but <laughs> that was great. That was great. Now does insurance cover the FDA approved, mm -hmm. but, but yeah. not necessarily the custom? custom. They don't. Yeah, typically. Um, and I mean, I guess I don't want to sugarcoat things too much because FDA approved bioidentical hormones, depending on the formulation may be covered at different levels. So sure. something like a oral estradiol um, may be really, really affordable, whereas a patch may be a little bit more expensive. Um, but most of those medications are going to be on drug formulary plans. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is there's a variety of options, like whether you're looking for birth control during perimenopause or to control your symptoms or, you know, basically you can talk to your doctor, you can talk to, you know, the, the medical field to figure out what's best for you and your needs and, you know, and your experience, what you're going through in perimenopause. That is a beautiful summary of, of what I just said. And you said it in like five seconds and I said it in like, what, 10 minutes. Um, but the thing I'll just say in addition to that um, is that menopausal hormone therapy, hormones are safe for the most part. For most women early in perimenopause or menopause, hormone mm -hmm. therapy is, is going to be beneficial and the benefits are going to outweigh the risks. Mm -hmm. So I still have women come into my clinic that think because their grandmother had breast cancer in their eighties, that they can't use hormones because it's going to cause breast cancer. And there's so much more to that relationship that withholding sure. a beneficial evidence-based treatment, that's going to like improve their quality of life for that, you know, myth or misconception is just not worthwhile. When would you suggest, like, if I, if I came to you and I said, I'm starting to have some symptoms and they are, you know, whatever, I give you a couple of different symptoms, acne, yeah, acne, some weight gain, some heavy periods and night sweats, let's say that. And when would you suggest women start treatments? Is that like an individualized plan? Mm -hmm. Is there a threshold level? I mean, I don't know. I'm, like we're looking I, for this information. Right. Like I like to be ourselves. comfortable, but I also, I don't know why I'd like challenge myself to see if I can like stick it out a little bit longer. <laughs> I don't know. You know, yeah. I, it's ridiculous, but what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like when do women start treatments? Uh, well, I, I think you said it perfectly that it is really individualized because it takes so much more into account than just symptoms. 
um, if, you know, how people feel about taking medications, um, kind of other um, kind of belief systems. There's a, a lot that goes into the discussion about birth control pills and those type of things too. So, um, but I'm of the mindset, if somebody's having symptoms that are impacting their life, then they shouldn't tough it out, that they should, um, beyond some treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the more we study about perimenopause and menopause, the more we realize that things like hot flashes and night sweats aren't just a bothersome symptom, but maybe the re a reflection of kind of something bigger. Um, and beyond just quality of life benefits, treating symptoms like hot flashes and night sweats and the other menopausal symptoms may be associated with better outcomes kind of longitudinally. So I think if we start framing it from that perspective, as opposed to it's just a bothersome symptom that it, sure, I can tough it out. Gosh, I was in labor for 30 hours and I pushed through that, you know, I can tough anything out. Well, it, it's above and beyond that, you know, at at midlife and our forties and fifties is when our risk of things like heart disease and stroke start to go up. Um, so doing things that are going to beneficially uh, um, improve our health are important in treating um, perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms, I think is part of that. Mm -hmm. And just to piggyback on that too, because, um, you know, I, I come from like the mental health aspect and it's all related. And so if you're sitting mm -hmm. there concerned, oh my gosh, am I going to, you know, bleed through my pants right now, then, you know, you're, you're preoccupied with other things and yeah. you, you can't like your mental health is at, at stake because you are stressed, you are worried, yep. you are consumed by those other thoughts. And so mm -hmm. to me, that affects your quality of life. And so what's mm -hmm. the balance between, you know, treating your physical symptoms and the balance of, you know, your mental health in being, you know, that, that quality of life that you can have at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pre preach it. I'm with you. Yeah. Like we need to highlight that, that those symptoms are beyond just kind of a bothersome symptom that may be a reflection of you not being able to tolerate something that it is a bigger picture issue and it's important to get treatment. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, that we always ask our guests um, for a female OMG moment. So whether it's yours or whether you one that you've heard from, you know, from your friends or, you know, anyone else, can you share with us some, you know, female OMG moment? I can't believe this is happening to me, or I didn't know this was going to happen, or this was unexpected. Absolutely. And I love that you do this and that it's part of the name of your podcast. Um, that's, I'm probably going to, it's going to stick in my head. And every time I hear somebody's story, I'm going to be like, OMG, that's an OMG moment. Um, but, but mine is a experience I had not with a patient, but with another woman um, when I was traveling actually to give a talk um, on menopause. And it really validated what I was doing and reminded me why it's important to be, um, you know, studying, educating, and caring for women that are going through perimenopause and menopause. Um, I was traveling to Chicago to do a talk on menopause, and I was sitting at the gate, and I had my PowerPoint slides, and I was looking through them, um, and you, you know when you can tell that somebody's looking at you or looking Absolutely. at 
what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and there's this lady sitting next to me and I can just like feel her <laughs> like looking every time I change a slide. She's like, and, and finally she's like, excuse me, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just preparing my, my slides. I'm going to Chicago to talk on menopause. And then she audibly gasped, oh, I'm menopausal. <laughs> what a coincidence. I'm talking about menopause and you're menopausal. She's like, yeah. And, and you could tell she just needed to talk about it. And she's like, holy smokes, I am just having so many hot flashes and night sweats. And it just seems to be going on and on and all these symptoms. And I was like, well, you should go talk to your doctor and get some treatment. And she's like, I have talked to my doctor. And you know what they told me? They told me I just need to tough it out. Mm-hmm. <gasps> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And that's what I, you know, I've, I've heard that from several of like my, my coworkers, my friends, like, oh, this is just what it is. You just have to deal with it. I mean, that totally validates what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, and it validates what you're doing too, <laughs> right? Like, Let's talk about it. We, we should be talking about it in the airport, in the airplane, wherever at the mall. Um, and, and that women shouldn't have to tough it out. And I mean, I think this gets to the kind of bigger picker, picture issue about the fact that um, women's health has not been a focus of health. Um, even when we look back to kind of research studies um, where most um, healthcare research has been done in men and just applied to women deeming right. reproduction or you know reproductive organs is just about reproduction and not kind of bigger picture issues. So, I mean, it goes above and beyond and there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I am confident that the two of you will be able to do it and I'll keep preaching about um, <laughs> hormone therapy and menopause. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jewel, for coming on and talking with us. And um, it was just lovely to to reconnect with you. You are a rock star. Keep mm-hmm. keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Thank you. Yes, and I hope to come back sometime, maybe with Dr. Bulger back at some point in the future. That'd be yes, fun. Absolutely. That'll yeah. be a super fun episode. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. We so appreciate it. It was just so enlightening to hear from you. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, ladies. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. You can listen to us on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, like us. (laughs) You can contact us at perimenopauseomg at gmail.com. That's perimenopause, spelled like my last name, P-E-R-R-Y, menopause, the letters O-M-G, at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram and our Facebook page, at perimenopauseomg. Period. The The end. end.